Hey everybody, especially Devils fans, welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. My name is Dan Roselle and I'm joined by John Fisher. Hi John. Hi Dan. Uh, it's been a long day and we're recording this actually after day two of the draft wraps up, all six hours and 40 minutes of it. Uh, that's how long it took of refreshing the Twitter pages online and for the people who unfortunately had to report more directly on it, uh, listening through all of the selections, all, what, 221 of them, I think? Something along those lines? Something along those lines. It's actually one less than normal because Arizona got punished uh, severely for their uh, combine shenanigans and had to give up their second round uh, pick. That, so That's right. So they didn't they didn't just wipe it off the board. It's 217 selections, but only 216 players were selected. Okay, and of those 216 players, several of them went to the New Jersey Devils as the Devils only ended up trading one of their draft picks that they had coming into this draft, and that was to trade the 192nd overall pick in the seventh round to the aforementioned Arizona Coyotes for their seventh rounder next year. Really a trade with little to no consequence, but uh, the only consequence was that the Devils end up drafting one last time than everyone thought we would. But they still ended up using eight picks out of nine that they had going into the draft, including all three first rounders. And I think we should start there with the Mm -hmm. tail the tape from yesterday. At number seven overall, there was lots of speculation as to what would happen here, and um, Ottawa kind of doing teams some favors taking uh, names like Sanderson off the board early, but the Devils ended up going with someone who was expected to go in the seven range, regardless of what anyone else did, in Alexander Holtz, right winger from Sweden. Right. Yep, Holtz uh, was available. So was Marco Rossi and Cole Perfetti. Um, A lot of the hope and... uh, dreams of devil fans i would say at all about the jersey on twitter on reddit you know all over the world we're hoping that these forwards would be available and that tom fitzgerald would pick one of them um and they did granted among the three holtz was probably the least of the three i would say but you can't go wrong with this type of pick he has arguably the best shot in the draft he has the best shot release in the draft will scout says that he does need to improve about uh, his shooting locations he tends to take a lot of quote-unquote low danger shots but he also said that if he wants anybody in this draft class to take low danger shots holtz is the man because he can actually score from them Mm -hmm. um and the devils for the better part of the last 20 years have had uh issues with offense so going out and getting a lethal goal scorer a sniper if you will absolutely fits that need uh in the system in the pool and you and I and I can already hear you're drooling, Dan, drooling over the possibility of Nico Heeshaw, Jack Hughes setting up holds for many, many, many goals in the near future. Yes. Yeah, so now the Devils' core kind of revolves around this Triple H, which was the obvious connection to make once Holtz was the pick with Holtz, Heeshaw, Hughes, and they mm-hmm. represent a significant part of that future that Fitzgerald wants to build. And this is a pick which is kind of strange in that it, it makes sense from a theoretical best player available option at that slot but it also more so fills a need for the devils and uh, i think that there were better players available by all the scouting reports in rossi and perfetti but this it does more directly fill the scoring winger need that the devils have currently so i don't know that it's the best option to go for need for players that Fitzgerald has already said would not be even participating in development camp this year in the united states but you know, he's not that far off in the pipeline. He's still someone whose timeline very much matches up with the Heishers, with the Hughes. So I, I think 
this is not a pick that a lot of people saw coming, but retroactively, it makes a lot of sense for this slot. You're you're absolutely right, Dan. That <laughs> there were other better players available at this at this selection. However, you know the big concern, the big fear was that the Devils were going to reach for Yaroslav Askarov on the basis that he's the best goaltending prospect in a very long time, or if they were going to go for Jack Quinn, who is a player that. Uh, Scored a ton of goals for the Ottawa 67s, but is not the best player on the Ottawa 67s. But hey, he scored 52 goals. So, of course, you know, it's 52 goals, Dan. Uh-huh. How can you go wrong with 52 goals? Or you can get the guy with the best shot in the draft. So I would agree that Rossi or Perfetti would have been an A+, plus, but they made an A pick in Holtz. Mm-hmm. And nothing wrong with an A pick for the first draft that you're at the helm. And the good vibes kept going as they reached the 18th overall pick. Um, and decided to go with the first of their four centers that they selected during this draft in Dawson Mercer of Shakutami in the QMJHL. That's right. I love this pick, Dan. Mm-hmm. I love this pick, and mainly because I had no expectation that he would even be there. Virtually, you know, I do a mock draft roundup, you know, a couple of days before the draft every year, and Mercer was constantly being picked in that uh, 11 to 16 range. Like he was just not going to be an option for New Jersey. So I just didn't expect him to be there. The fact that he fell, I believe Fitzgerald and, and Castron realized it and said, you know what? Guys like him don't come very often at this range. Let's go get him. He's versatile. He does a lot of things very well. Um, you know, the only real knock on him is you know, he's got an awkward skating stride, but even with that awkward skating stride, Dan, you know, he put up 64 points in his rookie year in the QMJHL in 2018-19. He was on pace to break that this year, but the pandemic and his World Junior Championship invite cut that short. By the way, he was one of three people in this draft class that went to the World Junior Championships for Canada. Mm-hmm. Now, he didn't play very much, obviously, because, you know, he's, you know, not Alexis Lafreniere, you know, he's, but you don't make this team unless you're, really really good Mm -hmm. like this is a highly competitive candidate team to make just being nominated or invited to camp is an achievement so the fact that he went with the team uh speaks to his talent level and what he can do so i'm excited that um i'm excited of what the future holds for him in new jersey it may not be at center per se but you know i'm confident that he will make he will make a spot happen he will make the coaches make a spot for him and that's a great pick at 18. Yeah. Love this pick, Dan. Yeah, it's, it's kind of reminiscent of when the Devils picked Ty Smith, and the reaction initially was, whoa, he's still here? Like I wasn't aware exactly. that it was even possible. Um, but that's exciting. Yeah, seeing his name come across after seeing his name being mentioned in the slots where you had said it. And, you know, I, I think that's possible by virtue of Buffalo reaching for Jack Quinn at eight, for example, something like that. Um, but, yeah, Devils definitely lucky to capitalize there at 18. And then some shenanigans started occurring as the Rangers traded up to get into the 19th slot to take Braden Schneider, the defenseman. And so the Devils were put in a position where they didn't necessarily need to reach here, but oh boy, did they reach for defenseman Shakir Mukamadulian from Salavet Ulayev Ufa in the KHL. So Shakir Mukamadulian, again, the defenseman from Russia and it's it's kind of a weird situation because all the scouting reports, all the you know prospect reports, obviously come out before this season even starts. And the KHL is one of the few leagues that's actually in action right now. And in um, a couple of games there to start the season, he already accrued. I think it's 
what, six points in 14 games as a defenseman, which isn't a terrible marker for an 18-year-old playing in the second most competitive league, but he got opportunities to play up in the lineup because a lot of Ufa's roster was dealing with COVID. And so right. Muka Modulin gets a chance to shine. He seems to have impressed a lot of people in Devils organization. Looking back, this one kind of feels like did no matter how hard they tried to trade down, there were no takers, and they knew they wouldn't be picking again until 84th overall. So they just really had to make sure they got this guy. See, I don't really believe that, Dan, because Calgary literally traded down a couple of picks after, you know, they traded down from 19. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, and, and in the second round, there was tons of trade downs, like at the very beginning of that second round. I think it, it was just a matter of how much work you could do to make that pick. But I did not like this pick, Dan. Mm-hmm. I did not like this reach. Look, if you wanted to reach for a six foot four European based defenseman with an offensive upside that you hope is there. William Wallander was literally standing right there. He went 32nd overall, by the way. If you wanted a defensive-minded defenseman who can be, quote-unquote, mean and nasty and stay at home and have a leadership component, Ryan O'Rourke was right there. And he's he's the captain of the Greyhounds, by the way, in the OHL. Mm-hmm. If you wanted a defenseman who had first-round talent but, you know, had a rough 2019-20 due to some issues, but these issues may be resolved because unlike Hendricks LaPierre, it's not going to be a case of one bad hit could knock him out of the the entire career of hockey. Justin Barron went at 25th overall. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you wanted uh, an offensive-minded defenseman, of which the Devils don't really have too many in the system, that probably would have been the bigger need pick on defense, I would say, given the prospect pool right now. You know, you had some... You had an op, you know, it's a risky option, but Emil Andrade was there. Topi Nimala was there. If you wanted a defenseman that doesn't know how to defend, Jeremy Poirier was there. And he was there for another, you know, two rounds, I think. The point I'm trying to make here, Dan, is that there were other, better, less reachy reaches than Shakir Mukamadula. Okay. Mm-hmm. I understand a lot of Devil fans are rationalizing this pick of, well, you know, he's been playing the KHL. He's got six points in 14 games. You know, he, he's got a booming slap shot. He's six foot four. You know, Steve Kurionis wrote a positive report about him. Yeah. And Kurionis also ranked him 67th out of 300 players. Like, yeah. it's not like the guy expected him to be at 20. You know, there is a logic to say of if you like a guy, go out and take him. But you can't convince me that. This you couldn't trade down from 20 and you can't convince me this was the best possible pick for this for this type of player. And and I, I still have yet to hear an answer from the question to the question I have had on the site yesterday. I, I repeated it again in the comments to that post. I repeated it again in on Twitter and I'm going to pose it to you, Dan, just because maybe you have the answer. <laughs> You're a smart guy. You might have the answer. All right. The Devils have Kevin Ball, Nikita Okotyuk. Michael Vukovic, Daniel Masul, and Case McCarthy. Who looks at that group of five defensemen and says, you know what? We need to add another big-bodied, defensive-minded defenseman who might possibly could potentially sort of maybe hopefully has an offensive game. So the way I look at this is that, you know, now that we know that they haven't qualified Mirko Mueller— that spot will open right. up for one of the defensemen you just mentioned, which leaves a pipeline spot. But I agree with you that that's still an immense amount of defensemen uh, on that side to reach like this in any circumstance. I think they just knew they wanted some sort of defensive prospect here. And it is hard to justify, given the rankings, 
across the board for this guy. But again, you know, if yeah. it works out, then he looks like a genius. It's just that. Oh, yeah. At the end of the day, I want the pick to work out. Right, we all do. I and, want the Devils to be good. <laughs> yeah, but he was, you know, Shakir Mukamadulin was just as shocked to receive that call. I listened to the interview, and, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be able to, like, directly translate, unlike the uh, the Devils team translator there, um, what he said in the interview. And he he said basically that there's he did not expect ever to be selected that highly, and his heart almost stopped. And I know some idea of that was conveyed, but the language he was using was very much like it was absolute shock to him that he was drafted that highly. So he knows his I mean, he knew his value going into the draft. I'm sure people were telling him where he should expect to go. But the Devils really, you know, using all three picks in the first round and one of them going like that is not ideal. It's very reminiscent of the Bruins using three in a row. Yeah, one of those players, DeBrusque, panned out. But the other two, you know, Zborl and Seneshin, we haven't seen much of in the NHL at all. While this potential combo of three of Holtz, Mercer, and Mukamadulian feels very reminiscent of that whole vibe. I, I don't know how best to say it. It wasn't three picks in a row, and it, they weren't followed by someone who ended up being Matt Barzell. But it, it still feels like the third one, they felt like they had a third pick so that they could reach instead of just taking what was there for them on the board. Right. And I think, again, if they wanted a defenseman that badly, you know, yes, it would still would have been a reach to go for Wallander, who, again, is six foot four. He's a young six foot four, by the way. He, he has, I believe, an August birthday. Um, you know, he's Swedish. He's playing in a pro league, um, albeit the Allsvenskan, because moto hockey isn't that good. Um, but, you know, he has more of an offensive upside because he's younger. He could fill out. He has more opportunities to fill out his game. And unlike Shakir Mukamadulin. You know, Will Scouch doesn't have like 10 clips ready to go of showing Muka Madulin being looking like a pylon in the MHL, whereas with Wallander, you know, Scouch is a Wallander fan, obviously, but those clips just aren't there because he doesn't get exposed nearly as much. And that's my big concern with Muka Madulin and why so many scouting reports and rankings aren't that high on him is because there's enough tape out there that shows that for all the intimidation and nastiness he could possibly be, he gets beaten quite a bit. And to a degree, Scouch even did the same with Schneider to highlight that, you know, all this talk about he's 6'2", 200 pounds, and yet, you know, here's this five foot seven dude in the WHL making him look like a chump stain. <laughs> um, but again, you can make anybody bad with any, any level of highlight there. So, I mean, it's not a totally fair point, but I think his point, and this is the point I'm, I'm going with here, is that, you know, don't buy into just being big and defensive-minded, meaning you're just going to shut everything to down back there. A lot of work is needed to make this work. And because the Dells drafted him, I hope it works. I can say this, though, Dan. This was only the second worst pick in the first round. (laughs) As Columbus (laughs) followed this with a Mm 19-year-old, an overager in Yegor Chinikov, who I did read on Twitter say he went to bed because he went through the whole draft last year didn't get picked in 217 picks, so he figured he wasn't going to p- get picked at all today, only to wake up at 5 in the morning to find out Columbus picked him in the first round. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting move from them because a lot of good players ended up dropping uh, further down. And we say good players, and there could easily be a situation where we look back at this and say, wow, everything went like it was supposed to, or we can say, wow, so many teams passed on this guy from the third round that became a star. That's just the nature of doing this draft. But you have to of work course. with the information you have at the moment of the draft itself. And 
it's the kind of thing where two reaches in a row means a lot of teams are much happier to uh, to be drafting in the positions that they were. And still, you can't help but shake your fist in John Hines' general direction because the Devils could have ended up in a scenario where they managed to snag Holtz and Perfetti uh, if they felt right. like it and were adept enough at uh, flipping that pickup if they needed to. But here yeah. we are. Mercer is not a bad get at 18, and I think wouldn't no. have been a bad get at 11 necessarily either. So uh, I think for the most part, the consequences of that have been offset by the first two picks. But yeah, this third one was strange. It was, uh, it, it blew everyone away. It was the talking point for a lot of the night, um, last night. And then we moved to today in rounds two through seven, which ended up taking six hours and 40 minutes to do this Ugh. draft, which is absolutely unprecedented it is and and of course the circumstances dictate that it's a draft unlike any other anyway but my god that second round itself took three hours and, and it shouldn't yes it really shouldn't because in recent years when they did you know the two-day thing you know rounds two through seven are very straightforward everybody's on the draft floor you know they still are in the arena they still have the stage and everything they still have the big board but it's very quick. And maybe it's because there's social pressure. You know, you got all these people around here on a Saturday, on a nice afternoon or a nice early late morning in a nice city in the summer. You know, nobody wants to spend all day in the arena. Uh, maybe that's the case. Or maybe it's the case of, look, I'm just going to yell out my pick from the table. You put it on the board and we're just going to move on. And maybe with the remote virtual drafting they decided to allow for technical difficulties or outages because heaven forbid you get an outage in like i don't know toronto during their pick in the third round um you need to give everybody like five to six minutes to make their pick in they all every team to see it decided to follow lou lamorella's philosophy of if you have time use it which is stupid when you're picking like guys that you know are on your board there, there's no reason to really think too hard about who you're taking in the sixth round guys um, the Devils in particular did not need to take a timeout to end up taking Artem Schlein in the, in the fifth round. <laughs> well, we'll get to Artem I mean, Schlein. It's ridiculous. Don't you worry. Um, oh, we'll get Because yeah. we have a couple players to talk about before that. And, you know, the Devils were linked and there are whispers that they might take Askarov as their uh, seven their seventh overall pick, but they did end up taking another goalie who was actually ranked first among North American goalies that were draft eligible in Nicholas Dawes, uh, Nico, I guess, um, mm -hmm. he goes by for short and he's from the Guelph storm and he had a pretty solid year last year, posting a, uh, save percentage and was by many measures, the most improved goalie and the best puck handling goalie in the NHL and cites Martin OHL. Brodeur as an influence. Yes, and he was also the OHL goaltender of the year, you know, despite only playing 38 games, but it's junior hockey. It was a shortened season. 38 games is a lot. And more impressively, he was named to Team Canada and was their goaltender of record, I believe, for that gold medal game, mm -hmm. which is impressive because a couple of years ago, Dawes, Dawes was born in Munich, Germany. Mm -hmm. So he initially tried to get involved with the German youth system, thinking, well, I'm not good enough to make Canada because I'm not good. Maybe Germany will take me. And Germany said no. So the fact that he made Team Canada and has a gold medal to show for it, you know, that that's that's a real mark of improvement. Um, I was very happy with him being the selection in the third round, Dan. The Devils have taken a goaltender in every draft since 2015. 
And you see the names throughout the second and the third round, like Drew Camesso went, Joel Blomkovic went. There were some definite reaches like Levi Merlinen and Kale Klein uh, that went before him. But uh, Dawes, he's an overager. He's 19. But if you're going to pick a goaltender, go with a guy who is really successful in a high-scoring league and has shown legitimate improvement, even if he is a year older than most other goaltending prospects that could be eligible for the first time. I mean, also an so, overager. I'm happy with it like in goal is not a bad thing at all because goaltenders take longer to develop. Yes, exactly. It, it, it comes down to, you know, right place, right time for a lot of these guys and credit the Guelph storm for sticking and giving Dawes a chance when they could have easily said, nah, man, you were bad in your rookie year and you were bad in your sophomore year. We're not going to give you games as a, in your third year, but they absolutely did. And he proved himself. And again, goaltender of the year of the league. Can't, can't hate on that. So, um, Credit to the Devils for not overthinking the goaltender pick. And honestly, he's he's by far the best goaltending prospect the Devils have drafted since Blackwood. Yeah, and he immediately becomes the best uh, goaltending prospect in the pipeline as well. Of course, um, by far. Which is, which is a huge deal because now the Devils in this draft so far, as we're talking, have their best wing prospect and their best goaltending prospect um, stocked up. So that's that's definitely nice to come away with. Um, as we move on to the fourth round, where they take center Yarmir Pitlick from Sault uh, Ste. Marie. Okay, so Sue St. Marie Greyhounds. And he had an interesting year last year. He collected 50 points in 56 games. Um, and he hails from the Czech Republic like another very famous Yarmir. He's someone who played for Patrick Eliash uh, at the World Junior Championship. Patrick Eliash was his coach. So I'm sure there was some familiarity um, with with Pitlick as well. And, you know, Pitlick, he gets complimented. I, I wrote the post for this, so I'm... I'm I feel comfortable talking about this, but he gets complimented for a lot of different dimensions to his game, being an all-around good player, not doing any one thing exceptionally, but doing a lot of little things very well. I, I think the thing that people mentioned frequently that he had to work on, and he even mentioned in his media call, was his skating a little bit, especially in yes. the corners and rough areas. But, you know, at, at 99th overall, he definitely was ranked much higher by a lot of places. So this is good value here for a player like this. And that's the main reason why I like this pick. To use a phrase that we did in our last show, you know, this is a good use of your draft capital. Um, rather than, you know, reaching in your fourth round, because with the fourth round or so, or even the late third round, you know, you're almost like throwing darts at a wall in a sense. So it, going out and finding a player that was considered to go much earlier, somebody like Pitlick, where the concern is the skating and also the upside, like, you know, the problem with players who are good at everything in juniors like well what are you going to do at the next level when everybody's good mm -hmm. um but you know pitlick you know may turn out to be a solid bottom six forward one day you know he's got a good size frame he's good at getting to the net he's not you know he works hard he's good on and off the puck you know there's obviously more to work on i could see why people would be scared of taking him in the second round or think he's too safe for the second round if you think but the fact that the Devils got him in the fourth round, that's a great use of your fourth round pick. So I'm pleased with this pick in the same way I'm pleased with the Dawes pick. Mm -hmm. It's good value. It's good use of your capital. You're, you're spending your picks wisely, Fitzgerald and Castron. Good work. Yeah, so so far so good. And I think the good vibes uh, generally continue because a lot of people were pretty pleased with their next pick as well. In the fourth round at 120th overall, they took defenseman Ethan Edwards out of Spru uh, Spruce Grove in the AJHL. Right. 
Right. So my understanding is is that uh, he's a very offensive-minded, uh, fast-skating uh, defenseman in Junior A. Now, he's played in Junior A because he is committed to go to the University of Michigan. Now, he's not going to go to the University of Michigan until 2021-2022. So I believe he's going to go to the USHL for, another, for, for next season, mm-hmm. which – is kind of like a lateral move. I mean, junior A in can you know, in Alberta is kind of like, you know, it is what it is. It's not top level competition. I think the USHL may be a good step up in that regard. Um, but I think the fact that he's very much a project pick, you know, you're not going to find out what he's going to be for another couple years and whether or not his game will develop. You're picking, this is Boston's pick in the fourth round. So it's a late fourth rounder. So at this point, shoot your shot, let him, let him go to college. Michigan's a very good program. It's in the Big Ten. They play a lot of big college games. They got good uh, rivals. And the nice thing about college is that while they don't play as many games, they have a lot more practices. And that's honestly what you want for your project players to go through. You want them to practice. You want them to drill. You want them to have those extra time in the gym and in the video sessions to learn and get better as a player. So, yeah, I can can respect the idea of, okay, there's some things we like in this, but he's got to do some growing. He's got to develop. Let's put him in a, on a pathway where he has a long development time, and we'll see what he happens in three to four years. Mm-hmm. So for those keeping track at home, at this point, the Dallas have selected one goaltender, two defensemen, uh, two centers, and a right winger, and they would end the day selecting two more centers, the first being the 130th overall pick, uh, center Artom Schlein. He went to Shattuck St. Mary's and actually led the team in points last year, and he is off to UConn for his freshman season. And uh, in the sixth round, I'll just group them together. Um, Benjamin Bumgarner of HC Davos, uh, which should be very familiar to Devils fans at this point. Um, Nico Heischer connections abound, but it's in the Swiss National League as well. So the two extra centers late in the draft, and let, let's talk about each of them. Okay. Well, Schlein is a, like Edwards is another project pick. Um, my understanding is that he was born and raised in Moscow, but he spent the last four plus seasons in America, you know, going through the U systems and obviously went to prep school for, you know, which is pretty known for hockey prospects. Chadwick St. Mary's have had Sidney Crosby, Zach Parise, Jack Johnson, and a whole bunch of other former pros. Obviously he's not on that level because he's being picked at 130th overall, <laughs> um, but, and not in the first round. But the point I'm trying to make here is that it's not like Shattuck St. Mary's is some nobody school that you've never heard of. Like this is a known school. Um, Shalane, I believe, was originally committed to Boston College or Boston University, one of the two, and then changed his mind and went to UConn. He's going to go to UConn whenever UConn has their season in 2021. You know, the word on him that I read from Steve Koryanis is that he's a smart guy, smart, hardworking two-way center, um, moves the puck pretty well. He did very well on the power play um, and in addition to being on the top line at Shattuck St. Mary's. So there is a thinking he does have an offensive game. He's very good with uh, possession. He's just not a very flashy player. He's not a very fast player per se. He's just a guy who does a lot of nice things well moving forward. And again, as I said, he's a project. So let him go to college. Let him see what more he can develop. Let him get bigger, stronger, and go up against bigger, stronger competition in college and see what you have in three to four years. You know, it's the fifth round. You know, this is, again, that, you know, I would have preferred maybe, you know, some other players available in the fourth and fifth round compared to Edwards and Shalane, but these are project picks. This is, 
they're and they're on pathways that are appropriate to what you hope they could do as prospects instead of having to rush them into the AHL too early. So I respect the picks. Yeah, I mean, there's a certain point in every draft where you just kind of look at the board and the rankings and you just toss it away and defer to your internal scouting because there's just so much possible variance at that point. You never know who can be on the board, who can't be on the board, and what the situation will look like when trades and otherwise develop. And there were some player trades that changed picks, but none really early on. A lot of pick trades happened uh, that involved later picks and teams jumping up for whatever reason or another. So, uh, you know, it's hard to be mad right now about a fifth rounder or a no. sixth rounder like Benjamin Bumgarner, who by all accounts is good value at where he was picked as well. Yeah, he's a double overager. He's 20 years old. So he could, like Igor Sharagovich last year, um, he could come over to the AHL whenever we have an AHL season. Uh, in theory, I don't know what the state of his contract is with uh, HC Davos, but as a rookie in the Swiss National League last year, you know, he did very well. He had a high rate of primary assists. Will Scouch, who does a lot of tracking of prospects, which is why his videos are so very good, pointed out that his rate of primary assists and his rate of high danger shot attempts is among the best among the 70 or, you know, 40, 50, 60 players he actually tracks, which again, you know, it's more impressive when you do it at 18 as opposed to 20. But the fact that this five foot nine guy rookie in a men's league in Switzerland is producing and creating at a rate like this, you almost want to say, take a flyer on this guy. You might have somebody here who could do some actual uh, good work for you in the AHL or even the NHL level at, at best, you know, because again, it's the sixth round. You're already taking flyers on guys at this point. Nobody who's dropping this far is going to be that impressive because there's a reason why they're dropping so far. So shoot your shot. If there, if this guy did something that you like doing and you got good recommendations out of Switzerland, you know, I think, I think it's a fine value pick. I think, you could have done a lot worse than you normally do with most six-round picks. So I like this one, Dan. Yeah, I don't think anyone was complaining about this one. So overall, you know, what what have we learned about this class as a whole, and how does that kind of key into what Tom Fitzgerald's draft strategy is? Because we have a large variety of sizes and shapes in this class, but we have yes. 50% of the class is centers. So I, I can imagine that not all of them will remain that way within the devil system, no. uh, given what we have. But, you know, like I said, what what can we learn about what Fitzgerald was looking for and how it dictates his plan in the future? Well, the the way I wrote it in the summary post, because under Ray Shero, um, with when Paul when Paul Castron joined the organization and had his first full draft in 2016, it's like every draft from 2016 to 2019 had a theme. You know, like this is a pick where they're focusing on guys who skate well. This is the year we're focusing on forwards. This is the year we're focusing on European players or European base players. This draft class is just, there is no real common theme other than they're just from all over. I mean, in terms of their source, in terms of their background, I mean, we have one somebody in the SHL, somebody in the KHL. We have three players in major junior with very different situations. Mercer being in the Q, Dawes being a goaltender in the O as a 19-year-old as a going into his fourth, uh, his 20-year-old season. And then Pitlick, who transferred from the Czech Republic leagues to the OHL last season and just completed his first OHL season and maybe looking to continue on in the OHL. Then you got a junior A guy who's going to go to Michigan in two seasons. You got a Shadisink, a prep school guy who's going to go to UConn, which isn't exactly a super high power program because they're new to Division One hockey. Mm -hmm. And then you got a 
Austrian in the Swiss National League who's 20 years old. Like it's it's a it, it's as you said, it's a it's a it's a group defined by its lack of common theme uh, more than anything else. And I think given where the Devils are with their prospect pool, because they amassed a lot of picks over those Ray Shero years, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can afford to not have to have a theme per se where you need to say we need to pick seven defensemen out of eight or we need to pick eight fo- eight centers out of nine because we just don't have that many centers in the class. So, you know, I could appreciate that. I think overall, Dan, I would say I like the class. I think it's a good class for the most part. There's only one pick out of these eight I don't like. Mm-hmm. However, when push comes to shove, if we look at every pick and who was available at every pick, I probably would have went in a different direction from than most of what they actually did. Like, I would have picked Rossi over Holtz. Mm-hmm. I would have picked... Um, Instead of Pitlick, I probably would have reached a little bit for uh, Nybeck, or if I would have reached for, um, you know, you know, instead of Edwards and Shalane, I would have looked for Brett Berard. I would have looked for Alexander Poshin. I would have looked for uh, Martin Kromiak. You know, I, again, I'm a little bit biased by what reports say. You know, Kurianis's ranking, Scouch's videos, uh, Yannick St. Pierre's videos at Draft Dynasty, and so forth. But I don't hate this. You know, there's nothing much to complain about it other than the Mukamadulin pick, which I still think was a big, massive reach. And I think could turn out to be a big mistake because it's 20th overall. Mm. You expect your first round picks to be NHL players, not to be, re- you know, hopeful NHL players. Right. Um, but I like these picks in general. I think if you had to grade it, I think you'd have to put it in that B range, um, you know, and there's a lot to like for the future, to be quite honest with you, especially with Holtz and Mercer. Yeah, exactly. And this is a, a class, again, this is something that th- there may feel like some reaches in here, but this was a year of scouting unlike any other that was possible. Like th- this absolutely this situation, you have to remember that the last games they saw of a lot of these players were way back and whatever reports exist were formed on those games alone and not necessarily the conclusion of all those seasons, nor the beginning of this season uh, that only already started for some of these prospects. So, you know, every, everything needs to kind of be taken with a grain of salt, but for the most part, the devils did a good job maximizing value later in the draft as they have done over the last couple of years. And the Mukamadulin pick is the one that sticks out as the, well, this was a massive reach. Not sure if it was an overreach, but it will look like one, certainly, if he never makes his way over to the NHL. Exactly. And, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, Dan, that we get stuff wrong on the site. You know, we're just fans. We're working off of second-handed and third-handed information here. But, you know, sometimes there's wisdom in the crowd, so to speak. You know, we all knew the 2014 draft class was a bad class, mm-hmm. and we were right. <laughs> you know, you know, for I'm not going to relitigate that or relive those terrible memories. But the fact of the matter is sometimes you know what you're talking about. But for the most part, you know, if you fail one out of eight picks, you're doing very well at the draft. And if Holtz and Mercer turn out to be very good, it may not matter so much if Muka Madulin does not. Yeah, honestly, I'm more we'll surprised see. that he didn't trade any of the picks instead of who they picked. Yes. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Fitzgerald kind of painted himself into a corner when he publicly said, I'm not going to trade these picks unless it's somebody who's under 26 mm-hmm. and has contract and term control and he fits a, a top six or a top four. It's almost like when you go, you, you try to like look for a, a personal ad and you see somebody who's clearly thought a lot about who they want to date, 
but it's almost like with all these different requirements, I, I you know, even if I meet them, it's almost like, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to walk away here. I have a feeling that, uh, you're looking more for boxes being checked as opposed to, you know, potential companionship or potential attractiveness or any, or whatever, you know, there is something to be said about, uh, being too particular. And I feel like Fitzgerald was intentionally particular to kind of ward off the, either ward off the, the, the calls for 18 or 20, or just to make it clear up front to say, if you're not going to come to me with this, don't even bother calling. Mm -hmm. All right. So I think this is a good spot to take a quick break um, as we move on to other devils news, but yeah, just to summarize it all eight picks made four centers, two defensemen, one right winger, one goaltender is the devil's 2020 draft class. And we'll look forward to seeing uh, a lot of them in next year's development camp and some more of them in camps two or three years down the road. So we'll be right back after this commercial break to talk some other goings on in the devil's world. So some other things happened in the world of the New Jersey Devils as they prepared to address the free agent frenzy, which doesn't start that long from right now. It actually starts on Friday. And, uh, you know, there's some deals already being talked about. For example, Henrik Lundqvist as a Washington capital that are, you know, nudge, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, unofficial, but kind of official, uh, as well as knowing that Taylor Hall will not be receiving an offer from the Arizona Coyotes. He, they will not be re-signing him because, frankly, they cannot. And from the Devils' yep. perspective, there were some qualifying offers not given that got people's attention way more than the ones that were given. And when I say that, of course, I mean perennial whipping boys. John Hayden, Mirko Mueller, and Kevin Rooney will all not be returning as New Jersey Devils, at least on qualifying offers. Well, Kevin Rooney is a UFA. I mean, he wouldn't get a qualifying offer to begin with. Okay, but okay. there's already been there. There, the word the word did go out that I don't I think Rooney is not likely to be retained. Which, fine. I mean, you know, these are players who were bad for the Devils. They were bad last season for the Devils. Mirko Mueller and John Hayden's five on five numbers were absolutely hideous, and that's the nicest thing I could say about it without <laughs> swearing. Um, they should not be qualified, and I understand that with a qualifying offer not being given that doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> great i had a sneeze in the middle of that i apologize That's okay. um, <laughs> what i was about to say was it's true that without a qualifying offer it doesn't guarantee that they're going to walk and become unrestricted free agents the devils could in theory re-sign these players it just means that they don't they're not limited to a minimum that they have to meet because a qualifying offer guarantees a minimum raise um that being said, the Devils would be wise to move on from John Hayden and Mirko Mueller, mm -hmm. if only because they have players in the system who could be at least marginally better than what they were, like at worst. Mm -hmm. Ty Smith, you can't tell me that Ty Smith could not be marginally better than Mirko Mueller was last season. Oh, he or better any, be. <laughs> or, or, any or most of the forwards in Binghamton could not have been as bad as John Hayden was last season, with the possible exception of Brett Cini, because... Bretzini's time was also just as hideous, but maybe he's better now. You know, may, I'll, you know, I take it back. Maybe Cini could be better than John Hayden right now. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is they should move on from these players just to have spots available for the, the young players coming up through the pool because the Devils have a lot of them and you got to give them an opportunity at some point. So you got to make some space for it. So credit to the Devils for recognizing correctly who not to get a qualifying offer. Yeah, it's just a shame about the capital that was expended on the Merkel Mueller trade, especially. 
that did not work out. It was a kind of a shot in the dark there because he was relatively unknown both before and during his tenure with the Devils. So, you know, he he departs. He's a former first round pick. Yeah. Well, you know, so is Jacob Josephson. And uh, Jacob Josephson, by the way, who is line mates with Alexander Holtz. Just want to throw that out there uh, at Jure Gardens. But that all being said, they will not be receiving qualifying offers from the New Jersey Devils, which opens up roster spots for the players you just mentioned um, to really make their mark. Ty Smith has no excuse not to make the team this year. There's there's no log jam. There's no nope. way, there's no scenario that he gets blocked by someone unless he gets severely outplayed during training camp. That's all it is. Yep, his main competition may be the other prospects who could be fat, fighting for a spot, like Kevin Ball, mm-hmm. who's also 20 years old and will go pro like Ty Smith will be. It could be Nikita Okotyuk, who could, in theory, go pro. Even though he's on the opposite side, Riley Walsh just got signed out of college. I'm sure he's going to get a look at camp. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say, you know, anybody else, they could go out and sign over the next couple of days. Because in addition to the Devils announcing their qualifying offers, you know, while the draft was going on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, the 5 p.m. qualifying offer deadline was also on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So a lot of teams reported their qualifying offers, and there were some surprising names who did not get offers, whether it's because the, the team is scared about a potential arbitration case where you know they would have to pay the player either a lot of money beforehand or at arbitration, or they decide that they're not going to be able to come to terms with this player – they have an internal budget already. We're just not going to risk or can't afford to keep the player. And that's why some guys like Troy Stetcher of the Vancouver Canucks surprisingly did not get a qualifying offer. Mm-hmm. Anthony Duclair somehow for some reason did not get a qualifying – did not take a qualifying offer from Ottawa. Um, Dominic Cahoon, who Buffalo traded for, mm-hmm. did not get a qualifying yeah, offer. Yeah, that was like, interesting. There are some – all of a sudden there are some names that are going to be – unrestricted free agents because that's the thing if you don't get a qualifying offer you become an unrestricted free agent so they get to go and play the market on friday and now all of a sudden that friday frenzy just got a little richer in terms of talent it got a little deeper in terms of talent it means a team like new jersey that has a lot of cap space and roster spots if they don't trust the youth and want to not you know live and die by the youth they can go out and get some quality free agents that maybe we're not expecting a week ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's going to be the consequence of the league pretty much being capped out. And it is going to be a lot of UFAs as well that teams traded for as rentals that will end up not staying with their teams, like the Hall situation, like Tyler Toffoli in Vancouver. There, there's a lot of teams that were not prepared. I mean, how can you prepare for something like this? But they also no. weren't prepared to have an internal cap as well. And are now suffering the consequences, which makes the Devils very in a very good position to take advantage of this kind of scenario. But I, I'm wondering how active they'll be in the market as well, given that they now have to be knowing what they got in the draft and knowing that it's still at least a year away. Like like I said, yeah. Fitzgerald mentioned that all of the first rounders, uh, or rather none of the first rounders, would be in training camp this year. They would all be playing um, in their respective leagues at they were drafted from so we have time before those players manifest and that means there are going to be open roster spots in new jersey absolutely now granted the theoretical extensions of jesper brought and mckenzie blackwood alone should put them above the cap floor they're currently um 4.94 million dollars under the cap so 
unless Bratt and Black would take the cheapest extensions possible, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're going to be above that floor. But they should, you know, the Devils by no means should cap themselves out. They no. should not be going on a spending spree unless they have the greatest free agent uh, time of their lives and become a playoff team instantly, which guess what? That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't bet on it uh, unless Hey, if you want to make the playoffs, go ahead. I just don't think you need to spend $30 million to do it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, a lot more will probably depend less. It'll probably depend less on who they get in free agency and more if Lindy Ruff institutes a successful scheme because, you know, yeah. With the roster they had last year going into the season, right? Blackwood is better. Exactly. There's a lot of players that could potentially take a step up and turn this team around quicker than expected, but it also does depend a lot on the system that's in place. And, like I said, the the roster on paper is not going to be that much different than it was going into last year with the exception of the the deadline trades, right? With the exception of the players that left during the trade deadline who people really kind of expected to have to sell if the Devils were as bad as they were. No one expected them to be quite as bad as they ended up being. But a lot of that does have to do with a lot of the players being young and being inexperienced and playing for a coach that really couldn't put it together at the NHL level, at least during his time in New Jersey, whereas Lindy Ruff has at least demonstrated some measure of success um, in the NHL before, and it's a matter of what can he unlock in these young players, and I'm not even looking at Heischer and Hughes because we know they are talented enough to unlock their potential, and they'll take time to develop in the league as young players. I'm looking more at a player like Pavel Zaka. Like, he is one that has to take a big step forward for them to be able to have the depth to be successful. And he's going to end up in all likelihood centering one of these wingers that's coming up. um, If they can't, if they either sign a free agent to pick, uh, to fill a wing spot for now, or in a year or two, when other wingers like Nolan foot develop on the team, or they move Palmieri for something, Zaka might end up having to center one of these new guys. So it's something that he's going to have to improve on, or he risks being shipped out since we just saw they took four centers in this draft. His position is not safe by any means uh, a couple years down the line. No, and the, and the thing about Mercer is that he could play either wing position, as I understand it. I know he tends to play on the right. So if I'm a Fabian Zetterlund or I'm a Jesper Bokvist or I'm a Marian Studenich or I'm a Nathan Bastion or um, even Joey Anderson, you know, I got to put in the work. I got to get it together and prove myself now before this guy comes along and hey, the 18th overall pick, he's going to get his shot, Dan. He's not going to, you know, it, you know, the Devils aren't just going to keep him uh, on the pine forever. They're going to want to give him an opportunity when he's ready for an opportunity. And all accounts show that he'll be ready for an opportunity at some point in the future. So if you're any of those players I just mentioned now, you better prove yourself in front of Fitzgerald, in front of Ruff now. Whether or not now is in December, now is in January, now is in February or whenever we have a 2020-21 season. I know the NHL wants a January 1st start date, but we'll see if they can actually get one. Um, they Their time is now to prove themselves, if only for their own careers. Mm-hmm. And that's, in a way, a benefit to the Devils, because, you know, iron sharpens iron in this case. Metal sharpens metal. You know, you want these players to compete for a spot instead of just going into a camp or into a season with a spot already handed to them. So this way they don't get complacent and they know they need to put in that extra bit of effort to uh, show they truly belong in this league. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a matter of, they don't get many more chances to 
to prove exactly what you said, to prove that they belong in this league. They, they have... That's right. Because New Jersey ended up using eight picks today, that is eight players in the pipeline itching for a spot. That's eight more players added on to last yeah. year's class, which was also huge. Like, you have to remember that they came into these drafts with a lot of picks, and a lot of people thought they'd be trading some of them for assets, and they end up trading almost none of them between the two years. So it, it is a matter of, okay, well you filled the pipeline now with quantity. Now it's time to figure out where the quality bubbles to the top from that. And if it's not in the NHL now, the idea is other people will get a chance to prove that they belong there. There's still prospects like McLeod and Anderson looking to find and carve out permanent spots in the NHL lineup, and they won't be given many more chances either. So we'll see nope. what changes and what that takes, um, or really what that spurs in the current Devils. Um, I, I think... Them seeing what they've seen in terms of the action in the bubble, I think there's a lot of devils that want to prove that last year was just a blip on the radar. It was a blip in development. I'd love to see the development process itself greatly improve under this new regime. Well, they have, they as you said, they have the quantity. They There's no shortage of players to develop. And Fitzgerald in particular, you know, part of his role as assistant GM was to oversee Binghamton, mm -hmm. to oversee the AHL. So to a degree, he has had a hand in development in that sense. So now it's up to him to identify the right personnel and to employ the right policies and procedures to have development yield good players. It's one thing for the B-Devils to have a good team. But it's more important that whatever is coming out of the B-Devils is a viable option for New Jersey. Because at the end of the day, that's why you have a farm team. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's its primary purpose needs to – or one of its primary purpose, purposes at least should be to help make the NHL team better. Whether or not they win the Calder Cup is another matter. Like it's, it's a nice thing to have. But, you know – you know, I don't want the team to be a bottom feeder in the AHL just to churn out NHL players. But if, if I got to make the choice here between NHL players or AHL success, give me NHL players. So that's but that's got to be the, the discussions and the, that he, Fitzgerald needs to have that's behind the scenes. That certainly isn't going to get a lot of pub, get a lot of attention with the coaches, with development staff, with um, with the uh, analytics people even just to monitor the players and make sure they're on the right path and understand for each individual player what that right path is. Because what works for uh, what's going to work for Shakir Mukamadoulin is not necessarily going to be what works for Matthew Hellickson whenever he gets signed out of college. Mm. Like it, they're, they're two different big body defensemen. Uh, okay. You know, it's not going to be the same thing. Right. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot to look forward to in terms of, um, in terms of new players arriving to New Jersey, and I think of the new players drafted, we're going to see Holtz over here pretty much by the start of next training camp. I would be shocked if he wasn't at least in development camp by that point, but uh, we'll see what he can do this year in, in the SHL. We'll see you know, what Mukamadoulin does the rest of this KHL season, and Mercer, um, you know, Mercer... I don't know. He, he's probably in the same camp as Holt since a lot of people thought he was more NHL ready uh, than a lot of the other prospects. Maybe. I mean, the bigger concern is whether or not the QMJHL is going to have a full season because the report also came out today that the Blaineville Boys Brand Armada has 18 positive COVID-19 mm -hmm. cases. And one of the opponents that they played, the Sherbrooke uh, Phoenix, they have at least one 
And given that hockey is a physical game, uh, you know, that does not bode well of whether or not they're going to have a full season off. They already just started their season, but the fact that they already have one team that's almost entirely infected, um, that does not bode well for the future. Um, you know, so well, unfortunately, we live in the interesting times of leagues can be shut down at any given moment. So we'll see what uh, Mercer can do. And we'll even see whatever the NHL decides to do, because if they want to get a season started on January 1st, Gary Bettman is going to age another 10 years over the next month, next two months. <laughs> I mean, yeah. A lot, a lot of late night meetings, a lot of, you know, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of uh, decisions to make that uh, aren't ideal. And oh yeah, the whole, you know, they can't necessarily control whether or not people can even go to games. You know. Well, that, that's another factor. If you throw in the uh, the OHL today, the commissioner of sport there saying that if the OHL wants to have a season, it may potentially be without body checking. Which like yeah, that's not gonna happen. it feels like a hollow gesture, first of all, uh, to tell hockey players not to body check. Um no. because even if they try their best not to do it, it's gonna end up happening at some point by accident. Uh yeah, well we, we well we saw that with the NWHL game, you know, the National Women's Hockey League. They don't legally allow body checking, but you and I saw that championship game. There was some body checking. Yeah, going yeah. On. And it's inevitable that even without body checking, these players will make contact. So that's kind of an you know, it's a it's a risk mitigating gesture, but it is a gesture nonetheless, because it is not realistic to expect the players to not be in close enough contact while playing the game of hockey to transmit a highly infectious airborne disease. <laughs> They're breathing Again, pretty heavily living... while they play, no? <laughs> They, they, they indeed are. And I, 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 th I have a sneaking suspicion the minister of sport, that was her, her way of saying, you ain't having a season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Forget it. And I guess they, I guess she was too polite to say, no, talk to me when we don't have a pandemic. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. Well, in terms of the news out of devil's land, that's all we have so far. Obviously we'll have more for you next week as free agency ramps up and we get an idea of what the strategy is in terms of veterans that the Devils can sign or maybe accessible young RFAs like John mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast here. But for now, um, feel free to read our summary of the draft over on All About the Jersey. We have articles on every single pick that the Devils made, including some summary articles about the class as a whole. And leave your thoughts in the comments and also in the, well, the polls will be down by the time you're hearing this, so that's a little less relevant. But leave your thoughts in the comments there, and uh, we look forward to having this discussion of players that we won't see manifest for at least a year or two. And if you want to talk further about all the young players in the system, specifically the ones under the age of 25, um, next week we're going to be opening up our top 25 under 25 for this year, Dan. And let me tell you, it's going to be a massive list. Mm -hmm. It might be the biggest one we'll, we have ever done at All About the Jersey. Ooh. So if, if you missed out, since you since by the time you're listening to this, you're going to miss out on the polls, don't worry. If you want an opportunity to rank Shakir Mukumadulin compared to Daniel Misul and Nikita Okutyuk and Michael Vukachevic and Kevin Ball and Case McCarthy, you will have your opportunity very soon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And until then... Um... Like I said, feel free to reach out to us in the comments on Twitter and uh, try not to think too much about retroactively, you know, being mad at the Devils for the draft. It's done now. Look forward to free agency and look forward to how they can build the team moving forward into the, the great unknown that is the 2021 season. 
That all being said, thanks again for joining us on this episode of Garden State of Hockey. It's been a pleasure, and we will catch you guys next week. 